for World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again today with another episode of the World of Work podcast. I can't remember how many this is. This is like 170. It's crazy. Just keep coming. So welcome. Jane, what are we doing today? That's a really great question, James. So today we are doing another one of our Management Challenger episodes. For those of you who've been listening regularly, you'll know that we have recently been doing a little mini series of episodes where we have explored some of the common challenges that either we've come across as managers or that our clients come across regularly or show up in managers' experiences. And we've been doing a little bit of a very personal reflection on how we might approach them and what we think about them and whether we've experienced them. So we've done this based on a little bit of feedback we've had from some of the listeners saying we'd really like to hear a little bit more about how you go about meeting some of those challenges. So it's been a really fun way of exploring some of the things that you and I talk about in our client work quite a lot. Yeah, that's right. And that personal reflections point is key, right? I mean, we're, we're really kind of working through this stuff out loud with a lot of it as we go through. We, we kind of touch base to figure out what we're going to talk about. But a lot of this is us processing in the moment as well. So it's kind of fun to do that as something a little bit different. So today, we have a different challenge for you today. And, and today, the, the sort of headline for the challenge is something like reducing hierarchy in teams. And the context we've laid out is that you as an individual, have just moved into the new team as a manager of that team. It's not a huge team, but there's a reasonable size in it. And the team's performing pretty well. No big issues there. But the team is, is quite hierarchical. There's a bit of a power distance between the people at the top and the people at the bottom. Junior people don't really sort of speak up. There's that sort of deference there. It's all just a little bit hierarchical. And you've been brought into this team because you're not a particularly hierarchical leader, right? You know, you, you talk through your interview process. That's not what you're about. You're not about hierarchy. That's not who you are. And you've been brought in on the basis that you'll try and, you know, shake that up a little bit, bring in a little bit more of that voice from people, make it a little bit of a, a flatter feeling type of team in terms of relationships. And there's no scope to change job titles or formal structures or anything like that. You're not doing that. This is really just sort of ways of working type of thing. Right, so that's for context. If you choose to accept this quest, you are heading off to try and reduce the hierarchy in that team. So, so that's our context. Jane, just before we sort of explore that a little bit more, a couple questions. Have you got any, anything you want to build on, like what we mean by hierarchical in the team? Do you like to try and flesh that out a little bit or bring it to life? Yeah. So I guess for me, when we talk about a hierarchical organization or a hierarchical team, we're talking about a structure that has multiple layers and that it has usually a top-down approach with maybe if you were going to compare it to other or teams that weren't as hierarchical with a longer chain of command, so more distance travelled through positions from the top of the team to the bottom of the team or the top of the organisation to the bottom of the organisation. And it generally what you see next to that is people having a quite narrow span of control and smaller numbers of subordinates, so if you, of, of employees or team members. So, for example, if you're in a team of, I don't know, 12 people, um, you might see that you have like one leader, two people. Under those two people, they might each have three people. And you might have like 
some of those three people having one person each. So it's like multiple layers within a smaller number of people. Whereas in a less hierarchical team, you might just have a leader and you might have four direct reports and each of them has one person. Yeah, so you get like those, those steeper and narrower structures. For me, there's a little bit in there as well about sort of deference to leadership and like, you know, if it's really hierarchical, like the boss is like super boss dude and you don't really challenge them and you kind of do defer to them. You use your voice a little bit less. What they say really carries more. Maybe you're a bit sort of feeling unable to step up and challenge in some of those spaces. That's kind of my flavor words that I, I bring into that space. So I definitely think, so I think if you asked me for a definition of what hierarchical meant in a neutral sense, it would be what I just told you. My experience of hierarchical organizations, and I think if you were having a chat with someone and they said, oh, my organization is quite hierarchical, I definitely think what they're really talking about is, yes, that chain of command, but also the deference to leadership, the top-down element of it, and the very sort of command and control end of the leadership spectrum, stroke management spectrum, I think. And of course, that's a place. Yeah. And it's not, I guess the important conversation around this is not that it's right or wrong or it's left yeah. or it's, it, it's about if you have decided you want to reduce it, then how do you go about it? Because I think there is a place for it. And actually, largely for most organizations, I think an element of hierarchy is helpful. And we'll talk a little bit about why there are certain elements you need to be wary of losing when you reduce hierarchy. But I think generally when we talk about organizations in chat with amongst like colleagues and clients and peers, when they say, oh, my organization is really hierarchical, what they mean is quite often relatively relatively bureaucratic. I'll definitely sign off, not necessarily micromanagement, but definitely the piece that I said at the end, very limited span of control. So you you have total control over this little bit here, but only this little bit here. And anything that you stray beyond that, we need to talk about it and ultimately I'll decide if I'm your manager, whether that happens or not. And I think it's quite often the stuff that comes with command and control rather than the hierarchy itself. So when we talk today, I think we're going to talk about not just the literal definition of what it is and how you introduce it, but also like how you reduce some of those behaviors that are often associated with hierarchical teams. And like you say, like there can be some really good benefits to having. A strong hierarchy, you can maybe get certain things done really quickly, potentially, because you just say it and it's done, right? And in some instances, that can be a helpful thing and there's certainty for some people. They're, they're like, you know, there's some benefits to it. A really well-organized hierarchical organization often has the highest levels of clarity in who does what that we see and has really well-honed processes, Quite not always, but quite often, but it brings with it other issues. But definitely there are some things that hierarchy lends itself very well to, particularly when you think about high reliability industries and jobs. So where there is a really, and where there's variation of skill level, because because in stressful times or in times of stretch or pressure, it is important always, irrespective of the level of hierarchy in an organization that everyone knows who's what, who's meant to do what. So as we've kind of alluded, there are reasons where we might want to reduce this hierarchy. We've talked about them a little bit. But if we, if we think about the situation, this context that we've, we've set out where we're looking to, to you know, reduce the hierarchy in a team, the way that hierarchy feels, I guess. Have you been there? Is that something you've done? Yeah. <laughs> I think probably by now, if you've listened to some of our episodes, you'll know 
Usually one of us have had the experience of this because that's why we like talking about it because we're like, oh yeah, I've been there. So yeah, I've been the person who's been managing and imposed a relatively hierarchical structure in a team and wanted to reduce it. So I myself have been responsible for it rather than being new, uh, which is a slightly different context, but I've also been through that. Um, But I've also walked into organizations and I've been like, ah, this is a little bit more, I guess the phrase I would use is stay in your lane than I was expecting. So I've walked into an organization and they've met me, right? I was in the interview room. They met me. I'm clearly not a stay in your lane person. And they've had an appetite to be more, I guess, agile or flexible in the sense of who does what and how they, particularly how they embrace employee voice and employee challenge and stuff like that. But when I've got in, I've been like, oh, I think they might have underestimated or undersold how significantly hierarchical this organization is. I think it would be fair to say. What about you? I've not done it so much as going in as a manager of a team, but I've, I've done, I guess, quite a bit of sort of consultancy work around actually supporting the reduction of layers in an organizational hierarchy. So, so shifting from a steep I guess, sort of spans and layers type view, you know, that steeper pyramid of spans and layers in an organization down to a, a flatter organizational structure. So it works a lot in spaces where people are trying to, I guess, remove some of that middle management layer that exists in lots of places and flatten the structure. And through that, one of the things that needs to happen to support that effectively and, and a lot of the work that's done is increasing that voice of the more junior people as they get closer to more senior and helping them feel less hierarchical in their behaviors and, and less hierarchical in their uh, approaches to the things they do, which has is really is an enabler for the change of structure as well as a cultural goal in itself. So I've worked with a lot of leaders who've been trying to do that, both at the sort of functional level where they're looking across a whole load of teams and as individual managers or like heads of teams who are going through organizational changes where they, they lose a, a bit of a, a layer of middle management as well. So yeah, I've done it from that perspective. And it's interesting, right? It's a really fun sort of little puzzle to to explore. And, you know, there are great benefits to it. We chatted at the beginning about, you know, benefits to hierarchy, but when we were talking about that, you talked about like different types of teams and different types of sectors or, or types of work where there are more advantages to hierarchy. And in some worlds, some types of purposes of teams, uh, functions of teams, sectors, there are real benefits to, to stripping that out as well. Um, so I think that, that call out that you made about, I guess, like the sector or something's really important too. And I think, I also think, um, where work happens. So I think where there are organizations where work is locational. So I'm thinking, for example, hospitals, right? Where you might want multiple layers because you might want multiple layers of expertise to sign off on certain things, but not want everybody there all the time. So there's a level of, you know, and I'm thinking should construction and things like that. Things like where there are responsibilities on site it certainly is helpful for for overall responsibility to create a journey where people can gain experience and skills and move through the stages of taking responsibility, particularly in really large, like thinking big construction sites, stuff like that. It can be incredibly helpful to have quite a clear multi-layered system because you can distribute the risk and you can manage it. And also it allows you, if you've got, I think, regular freelance work, or regular people who are not fully contracted to have that sort of more hierarchical approach because it's not necessarily thinking about them as a member of the workforce permanently, 
you're thinking about how do I make sure they're really clear on what they need to get done today because they might not be here tomorrow or next week or next month or whatever it is. So I do think there are certain elements of those areas that, and the military is constantly evolving their thoughts on how they both innovative and self-reliant whilst also having that really clear chain of command. It's not a straightforward question, but I think for us, we absolutely regularly work with people who are like, we're not in that world. We're not in locational work. We're doing mostly based computer-based knowledge work. And we definitely think there's an opportunity to reduce hierarchical behaviors in this team so that everyone can feel a little bit more ownership and be more engaged. And you know what? In a new first for us, I'm going to ask a question that that all related to after having talked about it all, because I just realized on my list of questions, I was going to ask, is this right for all types of teams? I was going to talk about that and see what we think. And I think we just dealt with that. It seems like for some teams, it's great. Some sectors, it's great. Some teams, it's not. There we go. Let's put that to bed as our first retrospective question, I guess. I'm going to add something to that question response, though, which yeah, is not right. right for all managers at all ah, time. Cool. Yeah. So I think there are conditions where some managers are much better and more comfortable with it. And I think you also, if you are a very time-stretched team in the middle of a very heavy piece of work or a very overstretched team, trying to introduce it at that point can be incredibly it's difficult. to change, yeah, for sure. That sounds tough. If we're going to like go in and do this, right, we, we get dropped in with this new manager. We're like, hey, everybody, I'm your new manager here. We're going to do this. Do we then need to chat to them about doing this? Do we need to like set out that we're going to be intentionally trying to change the hierarchy or do we just kind of stealth this? That's a really good question. I think is generally our starting point for everything. I think you have, I think there's two things that need to happen. Yes, you need to talk to people about it. But what I would say in something like this is you have to understand what it's like to exist in a hierarchical organization. They will be used to people, if particularly if it's a well-functioning one, they will be used to people saying, hey, here's the plan. Here's why we're doing it. Here's your job in it. And here's how long it's going to take and what we want it to look like, Right. And if you are going to go from that to something different, you have to start from there, from where they are. So I think, yes, you do have to talk to them, but you do have to at least outline your intention and play under their existing rules. So if that team have always been in a hierarchical and their boss has always done that for them, that is where you start. You start, you might say, and I'm going to leave the door open and your job is to challenge me a little bit more than you've done before. And actually I'm going to come and I want you to talk to me about this and I'm going to come to you and talk to it. That's great. You still have to you still have to play by the rules they're engaging in at the time, I think, which is I'm going to lay this out as if you would have heard about any other project, right? So this is where I am. This is what I think. This is why I think that. And this is what I'd like to do. I think the change comes with, and what do you think about that? Nice. Because I don't want to do it without. I don't want to do it without. It only works if this is something you want. Yeah. And that's a fairly de-hierarchical question, right? You're like getting all meta on them by immediately getting people to step into that non-hierarchical space. But I think you're making them feel safe, right? So if you have always been given really clear instruction about what your role is in any specific conversation, then you're going to be really quite intimidated if someone comes in and goes, so we're going to work out how this looks together. I could be like, are we? I don't know how to do that. That's not my job. My first response will probably be, that's not my job. That's your job. Yeah. Because I am used to thinking about whose job is it. Yeah. Nice. Now, I'm going to ask you one other question just because I, I scribbled down a phrase that I kind of like, so I'm going to use it. But we might end up binning it and deciding I've never done it. If we're going to do this, I hypothesize, I postulate that we need to have some conditions for success beyond that of our team. And the, the phrase I scribbled down that kind of makes me giggle is, if the conditions aren't right, will the existing organization's wider cultural immune system 
come in and attack you and make it really hard for you to be this hierarchical team or for a wider organization it's not ready so i just wanted to say cultural immune system because i kind of like that so interesting it's, it's so particular like i as soon as you said it i stopped listening to the actual question and tried to this is how distracting that is so listeners will recognize this James has used an interesting new phrase. I'm trying to decide if I like that phrase as a metaphor for what we're talking about or not, yeah, rather than all thinking about the question. So conditions for success. Do we think that the wider organisation needs to be ready? See, I think it's more like Star Wars force field protection. I think you launch something and you try something and the force field comes down and goes, no, that's not our atmosphere, our environment. Uh, oh, okay. Ah, okay. Um, so I you like, snuck into it and you were in there and they were trying well, what do I think? Yeah, 100%. Look, so where I have experienced this personally as manager, it has been in organizations that are quite hard themselves as a whole hierarchical and who have an appetite or have expressed an appetite to be less hierarchical, but haven't done anything about that much yet. We know about and those espoused values, don't we? We do know about those espoused values. RIP Edgar Schein, my biggest and favorite influencer in my OG career. I know, very sad. Anyway, so I think it's okay if the organization isn't like that, but you do need sponsorship and space from the senior leadership or your senior leadership to exist differently. So one of the things that I would say is we had, I joined a whole team joined at once to an organization I joined many years ago. And I wasn't a manager, but the manager was the least experienced of us in the particular thing we were doing, much more experienced manager much less experienced than us in the particular project that we were going to be working on. Whole organization, highly hierarchical, highly in both senses, right? Both loads of layers and also just all the behaviors we talked about. And we had a project sponsor who basically was a bit of an umbrella for us, right? So they protected us and allowed us. And they said, no, I will fight for you to be able to structure your team differently. So we were, we went to matrix-based management immediately. We went in. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's like where you might have a line manager, but you work on projects with lots of other people and the three managers in the department who all were equal discussed each six months who's going to work on what and how are we going to build teams together. And it was great because everyone learned really fast because you would move from different teams to different teams, different sub teams to different sub teams. But the deal, the brokerage deal was if you can get this done, this big piece of work, and you can do all the other work that this team is meant to do, I will defend your right to be different from the rest of the organization. We wouldn't have been able to do it without that because none of us had a voice. We were so many layers down. We were already like three layers between us and the leadership and it wasn't a big organization. So we wouldn't have been able to do it because someone would have, sooner or later, someone would have just said, well, no, because you need one person doing that. No, you can't have two different people come to that meeting. It's one person to that meeting. So for me, that was a massive learning, like, and he was, I remember he was off like for a month at one point. He had like family very far away. So rather than have like two weeks off at time, he used to take a month. Mm. Before remote working, this was like way before internet. It was that good. Oh, it was a nightmare. Oh, it was awful. Because someone else caretaked our team effectively and just was so hierarchical and had yeah. no, couldn't yeah. cope with three of us reporting in. Like just yeah. couldn't cope with it. He was like, but where's your leader? We were like, well... Mm. He leads on projects, he leads on digital, she leads on teamwork and operation. And he was like, no, I can't. No, someone has to be in charge. Nice. So there's there's that piece around conditions and and there are probably other conditions. So that's like organizational sort of readiness for that type of stuff is there. And I'm sure there's other stuff, but but maybe we'll park this a little bit. 
So what, what are you going to do, Jane? You've just got the team. You're there. What are you doing? I've just got there, and they're all looking at me wide-eyed because I've just told them what I want to do. Like team meeting one, and not only have you like told them what you want to do, you've asked them for some thoughts on it. Can you imagine? So I think probably, firstly, I would say, listeners, James is really good at the beginnings of things. So like building relationships and understanding how not to rush in like a bull in a china shop like I might do. And I'm trying to learn from that. And I think probably what I would say to them is, and nothing's going to happen straight away. I probably would just, given they're probably used to very structured control change, because that would be what I would expect from a hierarchical organization and change done to them. I would probably say, and I'm definitely not doing anything straight away. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than talk to me straight away. What we're going to do is probably every, depends on the pace of the organization, a couple of weeks, we're going to put time aside to talk about, I guess, probably three things. One, interdependencies and areas where we could step outside of our lane a bit more. So who would we like to work with on stuff, get help from, things like that. Learning. So what do we have an appetite for learning to do that we can't do at the moment within the broader or higher levels. And that's at like whatever level you've got. So if you've got like three layers in your team, I would be having that conversation with all three layers because we're trying to think about how we can do that. And those are very practical spaces of where their appetite is. And then I would be thinking about probably psych safety as a model. And I would be thinking, what is it that I can role model and pay attention to as a leader right now to demonstrate and start to without changing anything about their structure or anything about their workload, set the intention for how I want to communicate with them as a group and how I want them to communicate with each other when I'm there in that group and how I want them to treat me. Because if I can show that I don't want to be considered and treated as to, as different in that conversation. Yeah, you don't want to be on a pedestal, do you, right? You want yeah. to be and I don't think... And I would leave decision-making well alone. I think we're talking about conversations where it's ideating. I think we're talking about conversations where it's lessons learning. I think it's conversations where we're talking about exploring conversations, not decision-making conversations, because I think you have to leave them for a little while. But those are the three things I would do. I would explore their appetite for learning, spaces where they could collaborate or cross over or step out of their lane. And then me sort of doing laying some prep work of this is what it's going to feel like. And this is how I would like it to feel when I'm in the room. Much further down the road, you start thinking about how you want them to be when you're not there. Yeah, that's nice. And as you were speaking yeah. about, a little bit about beginnings, yeah, you got me thinking about the beginnings. And and I kind of scribbled down, maybe just like go out to lunch. I remember reading Edgar Schein because he comes up a lot of a lot in this type of stuff. And one of the things he said is like, you're there. How can you like work with people and make decisions unless you've just kind of chilled a little bit? That's paraphrasing, but that that's not a quote. But it struck me, right? Like once you've eaten some food or done something and, and had all those chemical changes of different social context and all that stuff. It, it kind of makes it easier. And one of my reflections and learning from working with senior people trying to do this is a lot of the senior people that I've worked with know that they want to be more approachable and relatable and connectable. And they find it kind of hard to do that. They find it hard, not all of them, but some of them, to kind of diminish their presence, diminish themselves so that they are less imposing sort of socially less about power presentation that comes with their years of success and achievement and trying to help them become that relatable person that, that diminishes their own sense of hierarchy is really a difficult thing. I think when we're talking about this hierarchy, there are a couple of things. You know, there are a lot of things we can do to help 
people who are maybe more junior in structure develop the skills and sort of step up the hierarchy so they feel more assured that they start. But there's the other side of this, of getting senior people to say, well, you know what, I'm going to diminish all the barriers that I unconsciously impose in these types of world, uh, types of relationships that, that make me aloof up on this pedestal. So working to come down off that piece of positional power and historical power and structural power so that but hierarchy falls away through your actions, I think is helpful. And, and I think taking everyone out for lunch and just chatting about stuff. And I know people will be stressed because they're like, oh, I've got stuff to do and you're making me go for lunch. But you've got to kind of navigate through that. Maybe have one-to-ones with people, have a coffee, just listen, chat, explore, and, and diminish that authority that you can bring through your, your structural, structural place. So I think that's it. I think one of the things I've been thinking about for a while and that we see a lot is that if people have a powerful voice built on whatever it is that gives them that assurance in these spaces that is imbued to some extent with a sense of hierarchy, it doesn't even need to be structural. If people have these powerful voices, it can be hard for people with powerful voices to learn to use it less. And I think anything that we can do that makes it easier for us as a person in that power to use our voice less in those moments and let people know that we might have a powerful voice if we need it, but it's not what it, this is about. I'm diminishing myself. I'm not this thing. So doing that through coffee and having a bite to eat is probably what so, coffee. I've got a question on that because yeah. you've made me think of two things. One is a place I worked where the layout of the canteen was all bench seating and mm. the CEO and the leadership team were quite often, and it was bench seating, not just bench tables, right? So you would literally have him slide next to you and I mean, because, you know, he would be rushing. There, right? Like anything that makes you humble is wonderful. Yeah. And then the other thing he used to do is when he was leaving the open plan office, he would make eye contact and smile at everyone. And eventually, once he'd done it a couple of times, he would approach you, particularly if it was the end of the day and people had left. So, like, I got used to him just swinging by my office and going, hey, how's it going? And not about work. He'd be like, how's things going? I learned to teach my team to always have a question for him. Not like a work question. Like, just don't be surprised and be like, has your day gone? Or what I don't like, because sometimes you like, it's a bit of a shock. But that leads me to a question for you, which is if you are a fully or mostly remote team or organization, is it harder for leaders who are not your line manager, so leaders above your manager, to be able to create those opportunities of informality? Yes. How about that? That's my, <laughs> I didn't even like step away and reflect on it. I think it probably is because I think that ad hocness is not there. I think it means that you need to be intentional in doing that if you're at a higher level. I think you can do it, but I think it is harder. I think that informality, that ad hocness, that physical proximity. Oh, I, I was listening to something really about someone else recently that I really liked, which was, you know, how friendships and companionship work and things like that. And we shape and, and think of friendship in a lot of the places where I live is that people get together and they do something or they have a conversation or they eat or they, all, they do that. And I was reading something about sort of the Inuit society and apologies if I you know misquote or it, it's not fully accurate but something that was written that I, I read said that actually in some of those societies people will get together and just do nothing like get together and just be in proximity and there's something really powerful for connection through just proximity that I think it is a helpful thing I'm always I just made me think like so it's not about work but it just struck me so my family spread around the place yeah. yes, and ma'am. we have recently started annually-ish, getting together for three days in a central location. And we don't spend every minute together at all, right? We anchor it with dinner together every night. 
and then different groups in that family. Because we're quite a big family. Mm. Like different groups will go off and do different things during the day. And like there's a WhatsApp group where we can sort of say, oh, do you fancy playing tennis? We're all going to go and do this. But I think there is something about anchored in the same space, even if I heart, like, even if like there's one member of family, we've got very different tastes, different preferences, probably won't see each other outside of those dinners. But that anchoring of in that space, and I guess I wonder if that works remotely is what I was thinking. So like, if there is an organizational wide opportunity to attend an online seminar or workshop or something, and as a CEO, you make, or a leader or anyone, or a manager, if you're trying to achieve hierarchy, um, step into that space and use it as a way to send clear messaging that you're on the same place as everyone else. And maybe it's a lunch and learn and you deliberately make sure you eat your sandwich on camera to, with your sound off, to demonstrate that just like everybody else, you're trying to grab a bite and communicate. Or maybe it's about asking questions that are no more complex than anyone else would and being a little bit intentional and considerate of that. And I guess it's, you're going to laugh. You're not going to laugh, but you might, you might roll your eyes at me. And I think that takes me back to Amy Edmondson's situational humility. I think it takes me back to that idea of how do you demonstrate every situation you're in? How do you show humility of what you don't have? A, because it's great for showing your credibility because you show what you don't know, but also creating that space for people to see that you don't hold yourself differently or in a different level. That's what I was thinking about. I'm not laughing about it at all. I think that's the star prize. That's such a good point. And that humility is such a thing. If somebody's humble, they're approachable. If somebody presents in a way that's not approachable, then it's hard to not feel hierarchical in relation to them. And to your point earlier about lots of managers want to but struggle, to what extent do you think we should be saying to managers right now, you probably don't realise entirely or you're probably, no, let me rephrase, you're probably not as accurate as you think either way about how approachable or not you are. And you should probably try and get some understanding of how others perceive you. Does that matter? Or do you think people yeah, have a pretty okay, good cool. idea? So, so I've got a couple of thoughts on that. One, self-awareness, definitely kick it up that list of priorities for all of us, myself included. Somebody once gave me feedback, but hey, you know what? Like, you seem like you're really approachable, but you never actually share anything. So nobody, like, knows anything about you. And I was like, oh, I'm being all, like, sociable. And we're like, well, yeah, but you're just not saying anything, man. You're just like, you know, and they didn't actually say that. But that's a little bit of it, you know? It was, I love how like, you've added the vanilla interpretation on the end of that. I did, I did. That was me. That wasn't them at all. But there was definitely a misperception from my side about what I was bringing to those spaces to build that sort of relationship. And, and was I really offering anything that was vulnerable or honest or open or insightful about me as a person that, that helps me be humble as opposed to yeah. things that I've often been good at around inquiring, listening well, engaging, being empathetic. And that's the drawing out of others is a different thing to the giving of myself. And, and that was a message in there. And I think there is a self-awareness piece there that is important about all of this. But I, I think there is a different thing. And I don't know how much it quite fits in here, but a lot of the people that I've spoken to about this are people who've ended up when I was doing this in a work perspective in very senior roles. And once people get to that certain level of like really seniority, everyone in the culture where I was around them didn't really need so much of this breakdown of hierarchy. People had a different set of skills, a different set of expectations, a different set of capabilities. It was a different way of working and being in there. So in their social milieu, the groups that they operated within, they didn't need 
to do these things to break down hierarchy. Their ways of working there were different to the ways that they kind of needed to work to reduce the hierarchy for those below them. Because everybody there had a powerful voice and was strong and had sharp elbows and was super busy and all those types of things. So it was more for the people structurally below them that they needed to be approachable. And they had this like this dual tension. So they're trying to be like this kind of alpha person in the senior teams and work in certain ways. But then they needed to snap out of that and realize that actually they need to ask somebody about how their lunch was or how their kids' football game was or whatever it was. And that split was hard, particularly when they felt that, you know, their days are managed and half hour slots by their assistants and there's no time for anything and there's pressure and they've got to run to get the train and whatever. So yeah, I guess there's that dual piece. Yeah, I can't remember your question terribly, but self-awareness, yes. How about that? Yeah, no, in terms of like how aware people are, that like how they're perceived, I'm going to use a phrase that's your phrase. I'm going to ask you about it because I think it really relates to what you just said. And I'm going to explain why. When you talked about that sort of rushed off, they're busy and, and they don't know it. I think one of the things sometimes leaders misunderstand is firstly, the difference between what they say and leader attention. So the understanding that people don't take nearly as much from what their leaders say as where their leaders pay attention. So where their leaders are putting their effort and time. So if leaders are walking around the office smiling all the time, great, lovely. But if that's one thousandth of their time and most of the time they're sitting in a meeting room at the end that's glass and they can everyone can see them looking really serious, focused for like 99.9% of their time. And then they then, turn up, the shadows come down. Yeah, and all of that thing. And I've heard you use the phrase badges of power. And the reason I wanted to ask about that is because I think there are loads of unsaid things and non-behavioral things that reinforce hierarchy. And sometimes that might be where a leader pays attention rather than what they say and do. But also, so like 90% of their diary is blocked up by like signing off decisions. Inevitably, that feels like that person is the most important person. But when you're in a team and you're a manager... I think there's lots of stuff that comes with that, that sort of unintentionally can remind everyone constantly Mm. that you're in charge. It's funny that phrase, badges of power, sticks or sort of evolve because one time I did a facilitated day-long workshop for some people and it was across a a big set of layers in an organisation from sort of senior manager up to, in this case, up to exec uh, leadership at the board level and I remember we had the CFO turn up and everybody had their little name badges on in the room because people don't know each other and he kind of walked in he's like oh I don't need one everyone knows who I am and we're like dude I don't really care you're going to put that badge on because this isn't about everybody knowing who you are but like how do we level that and he's like oh and it's, that is the exact point I mean about self-awareness and like not real like it's yeah. astonishing people just don't think what does that say what's about it? me what does that and, say and to that? people yeah and that's that sort of I'm different power. I'm special I don't need that and this was an, like a different case because he in that instance yeah, yeah. we needed to give him something as opposed to strip something away from a badge of power but they're all kinds of these things that, that hold up there as badges of power and they can appear in all these different ways so sometimes it's the fact that somebody can afford I don't know, bespoke socks that they wear that make them look cool or whatever it is, or tire plays a role in this, not like on your car, but the clothes that you wear a tire. Or it could be having an office, or it could be having a personal assistant. Or it, it could be-, be the way that you get loaded into teams and your label, right? Yeah. yeah and whether yeah. it's got manager after your name. So everyone knows every time they join a meeting, that's the manager. Yeah, it could be where, um, like, which floor of a building do you sit on? Oh, they're on the 42nd floor or whatever it happens to be. All these things yeah. are social rewards for the people that get there because they make you feel like I'm a cool dude and I'm important 
or a dudette. I use dude as a gender neutral term, just so you know. And I think it's super challenging, right? Because one of the conversations we have quite a lot with clients is, well, how do we maintain accountability and responsibility and ownership? And I'm like, well, it's harder. Like it is harder because you're going to invite more crossover work. And so there's less really clear delineating lines over people. And you're also going to give people a bit more responsibility. So that means they might make more mistakes and you're going to look at ways that they can take on more ownership of other work. So eventually that's going to maybe take projects longer. But I think when you think about how, so the practical example I would give you, right? If I was writing a project brief, you would probably put on that front page, the sponsoring manager or the sponsoring, Mm. you know, lead senior staff member or whatever. And in some senses, like, no, no, it's something. Oh, that's important. Like that's practical. I'm not suggesting on like redesigning everything. But you know what? You might put project owner or project lead at the top of the page, and you might put that person at the bottom of the page. Now, I know that sounds silly, and I know for a lot of people that are like, don't be silly. That's such a small thing. I think it's putting the person who's leading the work at the center of the project, and I think on its own it does nothing. But with everything slowly changing to things like that, it can be really, really helpful. And I don't know, maybe that, maybe, what do you think? Do you think that's a, do you think that's an unnecessarily small change that I've just explained? I think it is emblematic of things that are really important in this space. So while that little change might be a small thing in itself, the concepts behind it, I think are, are great. I think symbols are hugely powerful. Ceremonies are hugely powerful. The you know, these things shape many of our organizations and structures and societies and all those things totally matter. So yeah, it's like, that's one little example. Can I give you a reverse example that drives me crazy, which is similar to your badging one, like your sticker one, which is, I know quite a lot of organizations who do staff awards. Yeah. Senior staff never win them. No, they never do. Never win them. Well, they're not for us. And I think it is. No, because we're more important than that. We don't need awards for our trifling work. I think it's probably one of my least favorite things about awards. By a country mile. So as you were speaking, I've got like one other thought on this sort of space we're in mm-hmm. and then something else I want in terms of how we do this. See people trying to do this. One of the things that, that I get as a sense is people kind of think this isn't the job. People think like I've got to do the job and then I've got to do all this like shaping what it's like to work here on the side of my desk while I'm being away from my real work. Oh, imagine how much work I'd get done if I didn't have to go around and like be nice to people and show them I'm a human, right? Like I would have got like six more emails done in the time I've had to listen to this person tell me about their life or whatever it is. And I think we separate this connecting with people from our jobs or maybe from being productive to use a phrase that maybe sits a little bit more in that space. And I really think that this stuff is a huge part of a job as a leader. If you're a part of your leaders to or managers to create a team that's capable of succeeding and achieving your objectives, then this stuff is a huge part of the job. And I think we separate it. What do you think? How do you you think people carry this? I would argue you've made an unarguable statement. Like, Ah, factually, yes, I think it is a part of your job. Whether I think that is necessarily a part of reducing hierarchy separately and whether that's problematic around that, I'm not sure. Because what I would say is, go back to the original conversation, I think you have to be realistic about whether this is achievable in the organisation you are. So reducing hierarchy thing may not happen. You still need to do the connecting thing, but you could still do the connecting thing and not reduce the hierarchy. What I do think is that there is a misunderstanding about the benefits of reducing hierarchy for leaders and managers. 
And I think someone who is eager to get onto the next thing, I generally need to look behind me at what I've done and see who's going to pick that up. And that's going to be very difficult for them to do if I haven't created a space where people feel they can step in and out of what they're doing. But also there's projects that might be in my team that are not, they're way smaller, but I think I could really give a little bit of a exciting thing to them. Because there's another thing about leading a team that's multiple hierarchical. Generally, as you're managing that team at the top, it's not considered normal for you to step into the very bottom challenges. So if you're up here, there's three layers below you, yeah, generally you know, you're not going to set... Uh, you're like, oh, I'll spend a day doing your job to raise money for charity. That's what I've seen that. Yeah, but actually, I like that space. And I think it's really valuable to occasionally step into projects that are interesting, but maybe being picked up by more junior members of the staff. And so it creates the hierarchy works for you in a number of ways as a manager. I think what I would say about the making space is what I do find in hierarchical organizations, in my experience with the teams, is a lot less appetite or confidence in innovating processes, innovating systems. They do the workflow, not design the workflow, unless there's someone above them responsible for that. And I think one of the biggest things organizations miss out on is the person doing the workflow is nearly always, with the right support, the best person to innovate that workflow or that process. And so for me, one of the most powerful, amazing things a manager can do is really think about the process that exists in their team and really think about how they could both pull out some of the hierarchy of those processes. So taking away maybe touch points or making them optional touch points or increase transparency. So, you know, I've got this thing where if you massively increase the transparency in your team of what everyone's doing, you can massively reduce the touch points, decision points, formalities because actually everyone's got free access and is being totally transparent about what they're doing. So I think the power of a process and where is the hierarchy in that process is really important because it will get you to a place where if you can reduce the hierarchy in the process, it might also innovate much faster. So I think there's a whole host of stuff around that. And I definitely think people often don't see that. I think that gets fallen between the gaps sometimes because people who are managing and leading the team like the big change projects, and in a hierarchical team, the guys doing the workflows don't feel they've got the autonomy to, do, to change them. And then you end up with this bit of disconnect. You get very outdated processes and systems, which further reinforce this challenge. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I sort of expand it. And I think you're right to think about all the processes. And I'd say at the beginning, maybe something you could do is think about all the ways you let people in your team spend time. Like, you know, think about what are the things that go on there. And are there any things that are happening that you could reduce the hierarchy yeah so like one of our favorite examples was always meetings and in sort of more hierarchical organizations it's like there's a chair and the chair is normally the manager and the manager normally comes in and says stuff and then everybody else like doesn't really say anything and that feels like a waste of time for everyone and the manager's like why is nobody engaging in my meeting why don't i get any feedback why doesn't people why don't people put the ideas in and people are like oh why is the manager speaking to us about this stuff of course we don't want to do it blah 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 Side conversation there. Let's let's go back. But what we find is that like within meetings, if you mix that up, if you say, okay, well, you know what, I'm not going to be the chair. Somebody else can be the chair of this. Somebody else can drive all this stuff and and give people these spaces where in that 20 minutes or whatever it is, somebody else is, you know, at a higher stage of the hierarchy than you or whatever it is, and find all those opportunities you can do that. And like maybe one to ones, you could make one to ones much more of a two way thing and less of a director thing. And again, that can help with that. And find all those touch points. And just do a little review of that. I definitely think, on top of that, I definitely think splitting ownership of agenda and sharing is really helpful. 
So either the leader can do neither of those things or they can do one of them. But I think it's a really, really powerful thing when you split out who's responsible for owning and deciding the agenda and what's on the agenda with who's chairing the meeting. Because what you end up is the chair becomes much more of a facilitator and those are skills you can build in anyone. And the owner of the agenda becomes much more of a tactician and an understanding of it. And if you can mix that up with people, I think that's really helpful. And I also, as you were talking about that, I guess I just wanted to flag And I don't know if we've talked about it. One of the fastest ways to change the hierarchical nature is to think about shifting from how you measure and talk to your staff about what they are doing versus moving into talking to them about how they are progressing in meeting the achievements or outcomes or outputs that they are trying to do. That's just framing language, right? That's just so the project is about you getting to point X talk to me about how you're getting on with that. Because that gives them the space to say, well, I'm doing Z brilliantly, but Z isn't working to get me to where I want to be. And it creates that space to have that conversation. Yeah. And I brought to my mind this, one of the management books that's out there at the minute called Leadership is Language. So there you go. I forget the office names. Transition Grant. Oh, I haven't read that yet. I might might put that on my list. Anyway, it's kind of fun in that space. Okay, I think we're pretty much out of time. I'm going to chuck two words at you, Jane, and just get you to reflect on them a little bit, and then we can check out. My two words are, number one, respond. Number two, productively. Pick up on responding productively. I recognize that language. That's more psych safety. Amy Edmondson, good stuff. So, yeah, I think, and I'm going to build on it, and I'm also going to add one other thing to it. So I think when we talk about responding productively, generally what we're talking about is, as a manager, how do you respond to a person's doesn't have to be a manager, but we're going to talk about it in that sense. I'm going to talk about it in that sense. How do you respond to someone's input, right? When they speak or when they say something or do something, how do you respond to it such that you are reiterating the very nature of what you're trying to achieve? So if you're trying to be less hierarchical and someone speaks up, how is it that you can respond to it so that you are building their confidence to do it again, even if they're wrong? How can you respond in such a way that allows them to understand that you are appreciative of particularly if they've challenged you or asked you a difficult question or opened a difficult conversation. I think that's really important. And I think it's one of the things that I see a lot with managers is they want to do this, but they do not understand the drawbacks or the short-term drawbacks, which is things will take longer. People will make more mistakes or may well make more mistakes. They certainly might not do it the best way possible because you're moving people and moving around and doing taking up different pieces of work and, and being more vocal and taking on more responsibility, they're likely to have less experience than the person that you had earmarked to do it in the very structured, hierarchical, top-down approach. And therefore, you have to manage that frustration because if you're the person who's instigated this change, it is absolutely your onus and your responsibility when they do the thing you're asking them to do, which is to step outside of their lane, to step up, to challenge whatever it is you're asking them to do in terms of reducing the hierarchy, they do it, but it's not the thing you want, not the words you want, not the piece of work you want. They have to still know that they were good to do the thing, even if the output of it wasn't, in this particular case, the right thing for in your view. Yeah, and so really, like you calling that out is really important. Well played. Well played, well. It's teamwork. Okay, I think time-wise, we should probably wrap it up. I'm just going to have a quick check out and just ask how you feeling after that chat and what you got on this afternoon. It's about lunchtime here now. 
what you got on later. And- it was an interesting chat. I haven't thought about a lot of those things in a very long time because I haven't managed a team that's hierarchical in a very long time. But we definitely work with clients who do. And so I guess it makes me want to go back into that space a little bit mentally and try and think about whether I have a structured approach as I would like to have when I talk to clients about how to support them with that. So I might do some reading, James, about that. And what have I got this afternoon? Well, we have got our, <laughs> James, we've got another two and a half hours together this afternoon and another two and a half hours together tomorrow because we are kicking off over the next 24 hours our 2023 Connected Management Open Cohort which means we've got lots of lovely people from different organizations joining us to start their management, connected management journey with World of Work projects. So yeah, super excited to be online later. Exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm feeling good after that chat. I like that topic. It was uh, fun to talk about, nice and sort of reflective and good to think through some of those things leaders can do. I've got the same stuff going on in my calendar as you, except I'm going to go for a little run now. So I'm feeling a bit fresh by the time we, uh, we get to start our session later on yeah so that's, and that's brilliant before we say our final goodbyes just one thing those of you who've been listening to the last few management challenges james and i have a whole list of management challenges that we're thinking of working through for this series but if you have a management challenge that you would really love us to talk a little bit about feel free to drop us an email at hello at worldofwork.io or get in touch on twitter i'm at Janie underscore s james is at jg carrier and we would love to hear from you if there's a particular challenge you would like us to talk about on here. Brilliant. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Hi, it's Jane. I just wanted to say thanks for listening to the whole episode. If you enjoyed it, if you have a question, or if you just want to say hi, you can find us on Twitter at worldofwork underscore IO. Don't forget, you can also find out more about what we do, including our online seminars, workshops, and development programs on www.worldofwork.io. 